two weeks ago, I was uh, home. I had taken the week off for spring break with my kids. And there was a show that I was watching, and part of the show took on the topic of human trafficking. And I'm a dad with two girls, and I can't even watch those shows. They just wreck you. But it's the reality all around this world. And so then what happens is in my heart, my mind, I was like, what can I do? What can I do? And I was reminded one of the best things that a person can do to make a difference is to sponsor a child. You know, if you partner with an agency that that puts a caring adult in a kid's life to watch out for them, if you put them in a situation where they have a safe place to live, they got a roof over their head, they got food in their stomachs, they're getting medical care, if you partner with some sort of agency that, that can also take care and make sure that they get an education and a good one to at least give them a shot, you know, for getting a job, and then especially if you can find an organization that is going to share the good news with these kids. That there is a God in heaven who loves them. There is a God in heaven whose image they bear. And that he's got plans and purposes for their lives. If you can do those things through child sponsorship, we're not going to change the the world in the sense that we're going to eliminate trafficking. But we can make a difference for hundreds of kids. And so if you haven't already, I want to encourage you to stop by the table. If you're not sponsoring a child through some organization, just at least stop by and pray and see what the Lord says to you today. There's a lot of great causes. We're not saying this one's one you have to be involved with, obviously. But I would encourage you to consider it. Uh, It is so easy, I wrote here in my notes, it is so easy in the suburbs to get caught up in a life that magnifies the eternally inconsequential, isn't it? And that happened to me also during spring break. In spring break, um, I, we took some time off so that I could catch up on some projects. Catch up on some projects at home. And the biggest project on the list was um, our last Saturday when uh, we were going to take on assembling seven pieces of Ikea furniture in one day. <laughs> and you laugh as, oh, that's a challenge. You know? <laughs> uh, just for fun, I googled, I hate Ikea just to see what would happen. And in less than a half a second, 0.47 seconds, Google gave me (laughs) 5,460,000 links. Our final assembly of that dreaded day was Andra's bed. And I would have just left it and said, sleep on the couch, except for we had promised we were going to get that one done. So here we are. It's midnight, past midnight. And we are working on the last, this is seven of seven, Um, the last bed. And by this point, we had had enough experiences throughout the day. In fact, Emma calls her nightstand the nightmare stand. Um, (laughs) We had enough experience where I'm going to double check, triple check, quadruple check all of these instructions before we move on, right? So it seems simple enough, step seven did. Um, Two bedposts, and I'm looking at the, the picture, and the picture has two identical bedposts. Okay, this is good. Um, this one's got, that I need now has three holes. Does it have three holes? Yes, three holes, three holes, three. So it's, I've got this down. And then step 13 comes. And I understand why there are 5,460,000 links to websites to say I hate IKEA. Because if they just would have put A and B on the... The, the bed post, it would have been fine. But no, you flip the bed post over and now there's these holes that you really needed that they didn't even reference. All right. And so now it's, you know, one in the morning and I am this man of faith with my little daughter there. I am trying really, really hard not to break all kinds of commandments. Right? 
I'm trying really hard, really hard. My point in telling you this and juxtaposing it with child sponsorship and human trafficking is how easy is it for us to lose perspective in America? Because I've got, my kids are safe in our house and we have a house, we have a roof, we have food, got a great job. We can worship in freedom. Wow, 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 wow. It is so easy. It is so easy to lose track of that. And less than perfect assembly instructions aren't that big of a deal. Certainly not big enough to dishonor God in my words and actions. Well, in this series, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the context and a letter that was sent to a context. The letter is called Hebrews. And we've been looking at that for the last several weeks here together It was a first century letter, real letter written to real people in a real context that was very different than the one that most of us are experiencing and certainly much different than the one that Andrew and I were facing last uh, Saturday night. Again, the letter that we're looking at, it's called the book of Hebrews. And we mentioned earlier in this series that this is not a letter that was just capturing some conversation in a safe little seminary somewhere. This is not a letter that was, that was capturing some discussion on some online thread. This was a letter that was written to some people who were going to face and were facing some really tough stuff. In fact, here is a, an excerpt from the actual letter itself. This is from Hebrews chapter 10. I mean, this is the context that we're talking about here. This is the context where for those people in that time, in that place, if you were to say Jesus is Lord, that was heresy for your family. That was treason for your government. And this is the implications of it. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 32. Recall the former days when you endured a hard struggle with sufferings and affliction. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They can have my Ikea stuff, by the way. Take it. Um, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are those who have faith. And persevere their souls. Well, embedded in that last verse is the word faith. And that's going to be the focus of our, of our message here today. Because that's the focus of the chapter that we're going to look at today. Chapter 11. The focus there is faith. In fact, that is more than the chapter 11 focus. That is one of the key themes of this whole letter. To have a faith that, that, that you will hold on to no matter what. No matter what comes your way. I'm going to keep the faith. That is one of the main points of this letter. Which begs a question. Why? And if you're a note-taker, I'd encourage you to take out this purple sheet and write this question down. This is an important question. Why have so many people sacrificed everything to follow Jesus? Why is it? Why would they do this? Why would you sign on to follow a crucified carpenter, his life and his teachings, when it could mean it could cost you everything? Why would you do that? Now, also in your notes this week, I included another insert. It's a yellow insert. And on, the, on one side of that, it says the problem, the evil at the top. Because there is a whole tangent that we've gone off before that's an important one that we've gone off before in this, um, in this such, at this church and we'll circle back to in the future, this idea of the problem of evil. You know, why is it that if, if God is so good and he calls us to follow him, why does so often that path take us to really hard places? Why is that? We can't fully address that question um, ever, but certainly not today. But I did give you a little excerpt here where um, one of the resources that we recommend throughout the series, Hebrews for Everyone, N.T. Wright, this is a passage out of that, um, 
that resource. So I'd encourage you to take a look where he, he, he at least touches on that idea of the problem of evil. And again, we don't have time to do justice to the problem of evil this morning or ever, um, but I did want to raise this question because we're studying Hebrews and this is, this is a question that Hebrews takes head on. Why should we put our faith in Jesus of Nazareth? Well, this is what we've been looking at for the last four weeks. And, and there's a place to write this in your notes too. The author of Hebrews sets out to make a compelling case that Jesus Christ is worthy of our faith in all circumstances. And, and earlier in this study, we've looked at how he's above the angels, chapters 1 and 2. He's greater than Moses. That was chapter 3. And then woven into 4 through 10 is this, this idea that he's a perfect priest. And now after 10 chapters of making his case, saying, see, this is why he's worthy of our faith. Now in chapter 11, we see example after example after example after example where the author of Hebrews says, look at these people. They're examples of faith. Look at these faithful men and women who've gone before us. So this is where we're going to concentrate today. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 1. And I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. There's a, there should be copies at uh, both of those tables, uh, at both of the exits on your way out. Please take one as a gift to you. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 says this. Now faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. All right, let's hit pause there for just a second. Again, this idea of faith, this is the emphasis of this chapter. This is what they're going to focus on in all these people, these men and women of faith. Jumping ahead to verse 6. Without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Again, he said this multiple times throughout this chapter. The author provides example after example of men and women who place their faith in God. And often, if you have little headings in your Bible, or maybe if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid, you maybe saw a poster that said, Heroes of Faith. And this section is also often called the Heroes of Faith section. And after listing these heroes of faith, chapter 11 concludes with this heroic statement, what more shall I say? This is picking up with verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight or armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God provided something better for us. Now, look at this last phrase. This is interesting. That apart from us, they should not be made what? Perfect. Now, perfect is a theme that we're going to pick up on next week. Because next week, this goes right into chapter 12. And in chapter 12, talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the 
perfecter of our faith. So we'll get into the perfect theme more next week. As I was praying and I was focusing and I was thinking about this, especially in our context where maybe some people don't know some of the backstories of these folks that are listed as heroes of the faith, what I felt like we were supposed to talk about today was not the perfection, but the imperfections of those of us who walk by faith. The imperfections. How many of you are at least somewhat familiar with some of these characters that were listed in, in Hebrews 5? Most of you, okay. Are they a bunch of perfect people? No, not at all. You go down this list, we don't know much about, there's one of them, is it Enoch? You know, he, he was probably closer than a lot of these people, but man, these people, their backstories are anything but perfect. These same scriptures that testify, testify to remarkable faith also testify to some remarkably bad behavior. These behaviors include, but are not limited to, giving in to pride and lust and rage, breaking vows that were made to God, stealing, committing arson and destroying public property, lies, deception, soliciting prostitutes, violence, murder. And that's just Samson. (laughs) That's just one of them. That's just Samson. The Bible doesn't sweep this stuff under the rug. It is there for the world to see. Here's your heroes. They're a messed up bunch. They're a messed up bunch. One of the women of, in the heroes list is a woman of faith named Rahab. Here's what it says about Rahab. I'm not making this. This is what it says in the hero list. Hebrews 11.31. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And I'm reading this and I'm picturing heaven someday. And there's going to be some redeemed knucklehead and they're going to be wandering around heaven and they're going to bump into Rahab. And they're going to, your name's Rahab? Are you Rahab the prostitute? And she's going to be like, um, Rahab is just fine. Let's just, Rahab, just Rahab. Just call me Rahab. You know, and, and I think about that and I think about if people knew our backstories. If your backstory was written for the world to see, you could have some phrases, right? So and so the, so and so the, so and so the. We've all got our stuff. And that was true for the heroes of faith. The heroes of faith had their stuff. When Emma and Andrew and I we were cleaning out their rooms to prepare for IKEA Day. I'm uh, pulling everything out. Maybe you've gone through that before. Um, we came across a DVD that I'd given to Emma one, one Christmas from the old 1960s Batman series. Anyone ever seen this old series? If you haven't, make sure you Google this thing. It is hilarious. And the reason I'm bringing this up right now is these characters were so un-Batman because Batman has a backstory that's just as dark and everything as you get, right? He's the dark knight. But in this thing, he's just so plastic. That was a, a, um, a phrase we used to use back when I was in college. We call it plastic. And I don't know if people use that anymore, but for us, plastic was shallow. Plastic was one-dimensional. Plastic was hollow. Plastic was not authentic. And this is a plastic hero. And in fact, kind of in that time period, even especially earlier than the 60s, so many of the heroes were so plastic the good were good, the bad were bad. Sometimes they'd literally dress them a certain way in contrast to one another. The good were all good, the bad were all bad. Well, in today's world, you make a show like that or a movie like that, that is one of the quickest ways to get a critic hating on you, isn't it? Because that's not life. Nobody's all good, nobody's all bad. 
even though some people are more one than the other. And the modern hero stories are just doing what the Bible has always done for thousands of years. And that is to be honest. And that is to be raw. And that is to be gritty. And that is to point out imperfections because we've all got them. And what was true in the Old Testament is also true in the New. Read those hero stories. Read about Peter. This guy had so many doubts. This guy was so impulsive. This guy was so confused at times. And, and his denial of Jesus three times, it's there for the world to see. And there's Paul. Wrote so much of the New Testament. And he's got unanswered prayers. He's got unresolved conflict. He found himself at Romans 7. It's one of the passages, even though it describes imperfections, gives me hope. Because here's Paul saying, I don't know why I keep doing the things I don't want to do. I know it's not right, but I keep doing it anyway. That's there for the world to see. And then juxtapose that with what we read in Hebrews. Hebrews 13 says we're to, we're to honor our leaders and to imitate their faith. What are we supposed to imitate? What is it that makes authentic faith authentic? If we see all this fallenness, are we just supposed to say, oh, everybody's fallen and we just give ourselves license to mess up? What is it about these leaders that we're supposed to imitate? I'm in closed door meetings with leaders, church leaders, every week. Every week for the last 26 years. Except when I'm working on Hikea stuff, right? And then I get to see my own fallenness. And then right in the mirror, my kids get to see it too. The, every leader without exception that I've gotten up close with struggles. Every one of us. Everyone. We have our stuff. Some are working on it. Some aren't. Some are being blatant, blatant hypocrites. Some aren't. But everyone, everyone's got their stuff. And this includes people who are the most passionate and articulate. This includes people who are the most successful. This includes people who God has used to do miracles. This includes people who've forsaken all worldly possessions. We all, we all, we all, we all have our stuff. We all struggle to stay in the lane that we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes. We all struggle. There's a place in your notes where I wrote this down. And this list that you see here that I'm about to read, this is not exhaustive. We could add to this list all day. Faithful people, people who are trying to follow Jesus as best they can with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Faithful people experience loneliness. Faithful people experience confusion. Faithful people experience betrayal. Faithful people are tempted. Faithful people fail. Faithful people have regret. Faithful people feel fear and pain. And faithful people die. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. So again, if this is the case, if this are the faithful people, why would we imitate their faith? What is it about their faith that we should imitate? If we could please put Hebrews 11, uh, 31 back up. Take a look at this. Again, consider the impact of these words. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. That's striking. Well, she's a prostitute. And the not prostitutes are the disobedient. What is it about Rahab that God would have us to imitate? It's certainly not a life that's free from mistakes or free from fear or free from doubt. That's going to be part of this journey for all of us. And before I go too far down this path, I I want to pause and just say, you know, later today you're going to have an opportunity to come forward for communion. One of the things that makes communion so beautiful is that 
God is welcoming all of us broken people to the throne of grace. Isn't that a beautiful thing? There's not a person in this line that's going to come up today that isn't wrestling with something. Or if they're not wrestling, they should be, right? (laughs) I'll give you your thing if you're not wrestling with anything. You should be wrestling with something. That's your thing today. That's one of the things that makes communion so beautiful. Beautiful. There's a God who, who sees all of it. And he hasn't given up on us. And in fact, he gets it. He gets it. He doesn't give up on us in part because he gets it. Look at these. These are beautiful words from Hebrew. Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 4. Jesus himself has suffered when tempted. Think about that. Jesus suffered. Jesus is not plastic Jesus. Jesus is not trouble-free Jesus. Jesus is not, I'm bigger than this Jesus. He suffered when he was tempted. There was stuff he, somehow, again, how does this all work when you're God and you're man? I don't know. But he suffered when he was tempted. The word of God says, reveals that. We don't have a high priest, in chapter 4 it says, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one, in every respect, has been tempted as we are. Think about that. Jesus had things he wanted to do that he wasn't supposed to do. Jesus gets it. But here's the difference. He was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. God wants to help in time of need. God gets it and he wants to help. And that's why he's given us these two guardrails. These two guardrails. And I wrote them down in your notes. And I tell you, I worked so hard to say, how could I get these guardrails to not just use the same words that I use all the time? Because, you know, you want to come up here and you want to say something kind of creative, something that catches and something that hasn't been said before. It keeps coming back to this, doesn't it? If you know faith, the guardrails for the faithful are grace and truth. The way we put it here, Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord. What is it? The essence of authentic faith, it's running in that lane where you've got one guardrail on one side, amazing grace. Jesus is my Savior. There's nothing that I can do to earn his love. There's nothing that I do to deserve his grace. That's one guardrail. The other guardrail is Jesus is my Lord. He is worthy of everything. Everything. I hold nothing back. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. These are the guardrails of authentic faith. This is what marks out the lane that we're to walk in. And we see both of these in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Take a look at this. Here's, here's a passage speaking to that whole idea of Jesus is our Savior. Therefore, Hebrews ten nineteen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, He, not us, He opened for us through the curtain. That is through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And why do we have assurance? Because it's what he's done, not what we do. That's one guardrail. And then this thought goes right into the next guardrail. Right into the next guardrail. Picking up with, uh, with verse uh, 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has outraged the Spirit of grace? 
It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. This is one of these situations where having a highlighter can get you in trouble. Right? Because if you only highlight this verse, if you get that one guardrail, okay, I can't keep deliberately sinning or I'm done. If you highlight that only, is that authentic faith? No, that is, that is fear. That is judgment. That is not, what if you only highlight the grace? Oh, God just loves everybody and you just do whatever you want to do. He's a good, good father without all the rest of fatherhood stuff. That isn't that going to get you in trouble. You have one without the other. But when you try to live with both of these, it's like, at times it can put you on this road that is confusing. At times this road that is hard. All these things. All is grace and obedience matters. Somehow these are both true. And may I present to you, if you disregard either one of those guardrails, you're no longer walking in authentic faith. I want to encourage you to, to try something. Um, you don't obviously have to do this or anything I say, but I, I'd encourage you to eliminate distractions as best you can. Um, for me, that means closing my eyes. And it's April Fool's was yesterday. I'm not going to prank you or anything like that. Just safe, okay? So, but I encourage you to do this. Um, so if you would, if you'd be so kind as to close your eyes, I want you to imagine you're on a highway with two guardrails. And on your left, you've got that guardrail of grace. And what that guardrail of grace is designed to do is to keep you from falling into, I've got to do more to earn God's love. You can't. You can't earn it. You can't, nothing you can do will merit it. And in the sense that he is going to continue, the very real sense that he loves you, there's nothing you can do that's going to change that. So there's that guardrail on your left. And on your right, then there's the guardrail of he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And there's only room for one king in that kingdom. In fact, heaven would not be heaven if God let people into heaven who will compete for his throne and and act in rebellion to his commandments. So you've got these two guardrails that are designed to keep us moving forward in faith. So imagine you're on that road. And and think about this now. Think about this. There are going to be times as you're on that road that you're going to see something on the other side of the lordship guardrail. You're going to see something that looks great, something that looks like fun, something that you want to do, but the guardrail is there. And as you're driving by, you're like, I want an off-ramp. God, why can't I have an off-ramp here? And there's going to be times on this journey of faith, if you are obedient to that guardrail, you're going to get further down the road, maybe five years, 10 years, maybe even a week. And you're going to be thanking God for his amazing grace because he protected you from something that you really didn't want to do. Can anyone testify to that? have to say amen, because if you raise your hand, no one can see you. So, right. um, so that's one thing. But here's another one, too. Here's where grace comes in. Because there's going to be times where you jump the guardrail anyway. You know it's wrong. You do it anyway. And when you come back with sincere repentance, you are welcomed home. Welcomed home. That's grace, too. So picture that. Also, I want to encourage you to picture this, because this is going to be part of the experience of the faithful. If you are faithful, there are going to be times where imagine ahead, you see a storm, and it's nasty. It is the ugliest, nastiest storm you can picture in your mind. And that road that you're on is taking you directly into it. And to the right and to the left, you see sunny skies. And you are thinking, God, what are you doing? Why are you not diverting my path to the right or to the left? There are going to be times if you're authentically following Jesus, authentic faith, you are in that lane, grace and truth, it will take you into the storm. And now I want you to picture this. There are going to be times where that 
picture often after a storm where you are now seeing the most beautiful view you've ever seen. Picture that. Picture you're on this road and you got the top down and the convertible or the Jeep and it is incredible because God wants to take you there too. And now I want you to imagine this because this is part of our experience. If you authentically follow Jesus, I will almost guarantee there's going to be times where there's fog. Imagine now a fog that is so thick that you can't see one or both of the guardrails. Because there are going to be times where you're going to be thinking, okay, is this grace or is, am I just making an excuse here to sin? And there's going to be other times you're like, okay, is this, is this truly God a no? Or am I just practicing rules that I don't need to practice? There's going to be times where the fog is so thick, you won't see the guardrails. That's part of the experience as well. And here's one more that I just want to add. I, we could go on again with this all day, but... There are going to be times where your lane, your lane is going to take you a different direction than other people. And there's going to be times you're going to look over at Christian brothers and sisters and they're on the other side of your guardrail and they're having a blast, or at least it looks that way. And you're going to be wondering, God, why can't I join them? And you're going to, if you're listening, you'll hear the Holy Spirit whisper, because this is your path. There's going to be times where that is something you'll hear as well. Thanks for indulging me on that. And hopefully it was a little bit helpful because this is what you're signing up for when you sign up for Christianity. So many people are are given an invitation to accept plastic stuff. Just receive Jesus in your heart and and you can ask Santa Jesus for whatever you want. That's not how it works. God wants to bring you to high highs. He also loves enough to discipline us, to test, to refine. He also is going to call us to help other people, which almost always, if you're really helping someone, involves sacrifice. This journey is anything but plastic. And one of the things that helps me so much on this journey, I've said this multiple times, is having real non-plastic music in my life. And one of my Lent disciplines, if you've been here for several years, you've heard me mention Rich Mullins multiple times. Every Lent, I pull out music by this guy named Rich Mullins. Keith Green, too. But I want to talk about Rich here for just a minute. Rich Mullins. He's got some songs that he would even admit were a little plasticky, but most of his songs, he's got these songs that you cannot write unless you've experienced that kind of a journey. He sings of these ebbs and these flows of a faithful life the joys and the pain, the confidence and the confusion, the victories and the failures. And during that week I was home two weeks ago, I finally got around to watching a video. Someone about two or three years ago lent me a video. There's actually a video of his his life that was put out by some of the people that that knew him, that were close to him. They did a documentary of his his life before he died, or after he died. And I finally got around to, to watching it. And I was so moved that I was ordering a copy before it was done. So I'm like, I got to get a copy of this. I only met him once and it was really, really brief. But I didn't know anything about his backstory except what you could ascertain through the lyrics of his songs. Man, I watched that video. This guy had an authentic faith. A faith worth imitating. And. And. And it was a life that was marked with insecurity. It was a life that was marked with self-inflicted loneliness. He abused alcohol. He had daddy issues. He had all kinds of things. 
And one of the real um, hard scenes to watch was, um, there was a scene, spoiler alert here, sorry, but um, there's, a, there's a scene where he's a, a recording artist and he hasn't started publishing his own songs yet, but he was doing writing for an artist named Amy Grant. And he was in a recording studio and he was just kind of playing on the piano and she goes, what's that song? And he goes, oh, this, this isn't for you guys. This is going to be for my wife. This is going to be for my wedding. This is for my girl, he said. And it was a song called Doubly Good to You. And Amy Grant said, you got to let me have that song. He says, no, you can't have it. Well, as the story of his life goes on, that lane that he was in was taking him this way. The call of God on his life was taking him this way. And the only woman that he ever loved, Jessica, she was going this way. And he was being interviewed later by a, by a Christian um, radio guy. And Christian radio guy was talking about this. And, and Rich said, yeah, I mean, the only woman that I ever loved married another guy. And the radio, the radio interviewer guy says, that seems cruel. That just seems cruel that God would inspire a song called Doubly Good to You that's going to bless all these other people. And you didn't get to sing it at your own wedding. And Rich Mullen says this. He says, God doesn't have to be singly good to any of us. And yet, he could pursue God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Wow. Wow. As broken as he was, that's the kind of thing that makes this guy one of my heroes. Because, I could, in fact, if anything, the brokenness that they, they gave us in, glimpses into elevates him even more. Because this was not just some guy where everything came easy and he'd just write these songs and stuff. His struggles were real. And yet he dedicated his life to his call. He honored God with the talents he had been given. He walked away from his wealth. He even said, okay, God, if you got me single, I'll remain single. And then he died a tragic death. And all that sounds a whole lot like Jesus, doesn't it? A whole lot like Jesus. The faithful all fall short with one notable exception, and that's Jesus. The author of Hebrews summarizes the impact of Jesus' life from Hebrews, um, in Hebrews, in here in Hebrews chapter 5. Listen to these words. In the days of his flesh, meaning Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and with tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. May I present to you that if your faith feels plastic, that's not authentic faith. Because this is the experience of Jesus. At least part of it. We'll get to the joy next week. We open this series with this invitation from Hebrews chapter 6. Let's leave behind the elementary. That's how we started this whole thing. Let's leave behind the elementary. Let's leave behind the plastic and go on to maturity. And so today I want to give you that challenge. Are you willing to take another step in that direction? Or if you've drifted and you're outside one of those guardrails, you're ready to hop back in the lane with us. Well, before we pray to that end, I want to invite the worship band forward at this time to sing one of the Rich Mullen songs. And I put in your yellow sheet, I typed up the lyrics because this is one of these, this song's not a one-off. If, if you want to really get the most out of this song, you've got to listen to it multiple times. And so I, I printed up the words, or at least reflect on the words, because I've been listening to this song for 25 years or more. And even this week, 
I was seeing and, and, and sensing and, and, and picturing new things. At Emmanuel, we invite you to experience God with us. And experiencing God with us, there are going to be times it brings you to the highest of highs. And there's going to be times where it takes you to these places that are raw and confusing and really, really hard. If Jesus learned obedience through suffering, if Jesus offered up prayers, sometimes that included loud cries and tears, if Jesus' prayers were heard because of his perfect reverence, and sometimes the answer was no, we can expect the same, right? So let me pray and then let's sing this song. Father, we pray right now that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and hearts. Lord, open us up to the raw nature of these lyrics. Open us up to the reality that some of us, we've been here. We have been here. And for others who haven't, Lord, give them pictures and images in their head of what it looks like. Holy Spirit, sanctify. Use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. God's mercy cannot find in my own, and He keeps the fire burning to melt this heart of stone. Keeps me aching with the yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. But I've heard the soldier's song Love's over them like a banner Love within them leads them on To the battle, on the journey And it's never gonna stop Ever wider bleak their mercies And the fury of His
song. Thank you. And I want to encourage you to hold on to this um, and, and, and reflect on these words. Joy and sorrow are this ocean. And in their every ebb and flow, now the Lord a door has opened that all hell could never close. And if you choose to follow him, here you're going to be tested to be made worthy. You're going to be tossed about. But what else? You're going to be lifted up. Lifted up in this reckless rage and fury that they call the love of God. There's one last talk point in your notes, and it's this. Will you today, for the first time or for the first time again, will you leave behind plastic religion and pursue authentic faith? And it was interesting. I didn't plan this um, when I brought little plastic superhero here today. But if you choose to come forward for communion, you got to pass by plastic on the way to the real. I think that's pretty cool how the Lord orchestrated that.